0: Turn your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Please bow with me. Lord God, creator of heaven and earth, our creator, we gather together today to worship you, the one true God, and knowing that you are in control of all things, we take pleasure in that, knowing that we don't have to be, nor can we be. Lord, I pray that you would guide the words of my mouth this morning from your word, that all blessing and honor would be yours, that your word would be in the ears of your people. Amen. God is in control. I tried a different, couple different titles for this sermon, and this is the one that I landed on primarily because this is such a, I would call it almost a Christianese phrase nowadays. We hear Christians say this phrase, we say it ourselves. Things are going maybe not the way you want them to, God is in control. Well, you're right, but do you believe that? Do you truly believe that God is in control? You know, we sit in church and the pastor might preach on something and he start talking about God is in control. And we might think, maybe we need to pray for pastor a little more. Maybe he's struggling. He needs God to be in control of something in his life today. Well, so do you. Maybe you've got a brother that's struggling. And you go to him and say, hey, brother, you know, you're dealing with this thing. Just know that God is in control. Then a brother comes to you and says, I've noticed, seems like you might be struggling with something. You're, you're a little down. Just know that God is in control. But when the shoe's on another foot, the answer changes, no, I got this. I got this all under control. No, you need to know that God is in control. One of the best ways to get to know our God is through a study of the attributes of our God. And you can find these online. There's all kinds of canned sermons. Some of them are actually very good. But it doesn't really do the same as when you do your own study in the attributes of God to get to know your God. So that is why I've titled this sermon, God is in Control. Subtitle for this week is The Sovereignty of God in Creation, meaning his sovereignty in the acts of all of his creation. Letter A in your notes, under the introduction. If we want to get to know our God through his attribute of his sovereignty, we first need to know what sovereignty means, what sovereignty is. According to Webster's dictionary, Sovereignty-defined, one definition is freedom from external control, autonomy. Now, autonomy isn't a word that's commonly used so much. In fact, I wasn't really familiar with it until maybe 12 to 14 years ago when I started working in the realm of GPS, causing tractors to steer themselves and causing equipment to turn itself on and off at just the right time. And with the satellites, and it doesn't matter if it's farming or your GPS leading your car wherever you want to go to find where you're going, we have these autonomous satellites out there floating around. The thing is, they're not exactly autonomous. Because as we looked at the definition, it's freedom from external control. Now those satellites are up there somewhat autonomously, but they're still under the control of their programming that was pre-programmed into that satellite. So it's not truly autonomous. Something more modern that you're probably hearing more about is autonomous self-driving trucks. This is becoming a big thing in the electrical truck industry. Well, in a sense, they are driving themselves, and to a degree, they're autonomous, but to the true definition of of the word autonomous, they are still not truly autonomous because they are under control of the programming of the person that programmed that vehicle or the person that programmed where that vehicle wants to go or where they want this vehicle to go for today. Likewise, we have people and we like to think we're autonomous. We can do whatever we want, whenever we want. Well, sorry, you're not autonomous either. See, you're not free from external control. There's lots of external controls. There's the law of the land that control the decisions you make. There's perhaps your wife influences the decisions you make, or your husband, or your parents. Ultimately, there's only one autonomous being in the universe. That is our God. Our God is truly free from external control. Nothing influences him. Nobody influences him. God is in control. The second definition under sovereignty defined is controlling influence. Just as I mentioned the satellites, though they're called autonomous, something is controlling them. They don't get to do whatever. They want, they don't even know what they want. They're an inanimate object that just has a bunch of circuitry in it. The the autonomous vehicles, they're under a controlling influence. Of the manufacturers to the end user, they are under a controlling influence. People are under a controlling influence. That controlling influence is our God. God is the only true controlling influence in this universe. Every other, what we might consider controlling influence, is subject to our God. Why? Because he is God and he is sovereign. God has sovereignly created everything that makes up this universe. He has sovereignly created us. The second point Under the general knowledge of sovereignty is, now that we have the definition, is we need an application. Sovereignty applied. Two things came to mind as I studied this. First, the only real earthly example we have of sovereignty is a king. A king in his territory answers to nobody. But everybody in his territory answers to him. However, this isn't absolute. Another king can come in and take over his territory, and now this king is subject to another sovereign authority. So again, we come back to our sovereign God. My second point under sovereignty applied. God has supreme sovereignty. A king has earthly sovereignty, very limited sovereignty. But God has supreme sovereignty. That means God is in control of everything, At all times, without any interruptions, it is all in his hands. Point B in my introduction is we also need to have a biblical knowledge of our sovereign God. Now we have a knowledge of what sovereignty is. We need to look at the Bible and see what it says about our sovereign God and who he is. Now bear with me through this section because this might look a little confusing at face value. But point number one under the biblical knowledge of our sovereign God is complete knowledge unattainable. The complete knowledge of our sovereign God is completely unattainable to us in its completeness. Look at Isaiah chapter 55, starting in verse 8. This is God speaking through the prophet Isaiah. And God says, starting in verse 8, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Anybody notice what just happened there? Anybody remember Eeyore, Winnie the Pooh? He's got the pinned-on tail, head's always hanging low. He's got, got his own little cloud goes with him wherever he goes. Well, right there, the uh, Eeyore Christians just came out said, well, if it's unattainable, why should he even try? You know what the problem with the American Christian is? We're spoiled brats. And I said, we. I put me in the group with everybody else. We are spoiled brats because God has allowed us to have it so easy that when something hard comes along, we pray to God and say, God, please get me out of this. When in the other countries where they're actually being persecuted, they're praying, God, help me get through this so that I can grow through this and know you more and to be stronger as a Christian. So if we turn our attitude the right direction, get away from Eeyore, we can look at this a whole different way. That because the complete knowledge of our sovereign God is unattainable, that means there is no end to our learning. We can continue learning about our God till the day we die because we can never get to the end of him. So keep learning. My second point under the biblical knowledge of our sovereign God is Comparable sovereignty, impossible. In Isaiah, again, chapter 40, starting in verse 25. To whom then will you compare me that I would be his equal, says the Holy One. That's God, if you were wondering. Raise your eyes on high and see who has created these stars. The one who brings out their multitude by number. He calls them all by name. Because of the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, not one of them is missing. Nothing or no one can compare to our sovereign God. That should bring you comfort, brothers and sisters. Because our God is not only the best God, he's the only God. Moving into the main body of the sermon, main point number one, God's sovereign creation. I'm going to take you through a series of points here that are going to show you God's sovereign acts in in his creation of everything. And we're going to start back where we began in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now when I started this study, I realized that this study of the knowledge of our God's sovereignty is Genesis-centric. We have to deal with Genesis before we can go anywhere else in dealing with who our God is. Genesis 1:1 is like the keystone. If you're familiar with the old style of building with with stones and bricks, they would build an arched doorway or an arched window. And because of that arch, they needed the keystone, which is a larger stone, cut it as a wedge that sat at the top of that. That keystone created the integrity for the entire building. Because if that keystone fails, that arched doorway fails. If that arched doorway fails, that wall of the building fails. If that wall of the building fails, the entire building fails. Like the keystone, Genesis 1-1 and the entire creation account of Genesis is central to this study because without it, we have nothing. It is the keystone to anything we study in God's word. Moving down to verse 6 in Genesis 1. Then God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. God made the expanse and separated the waters that were below the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse, and it was so. God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening and there was morning a second day. And then skipping down to verse 14. Then God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and they shall serve as signs and for seasons and for days and years and they shall serve as lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth and it was so. God made the two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He made the stars also. God placed them in the expanse of the heavens To give light on the earth and to govern the day and the night, and to separate the light from the darkness, and God saw that it was good. Now, in regards to our specific study of God's sovereignty, there isn't much to say here. In other studies, there's a lot to be said here. But what this is, is our biblical historical account of what God did. God created the heavens and the earth. Nobody should say anything otherwise. There are all kinds of other theories out there that go against God, and some might consider the most benign being the what I call creation plus. Yeah, God created it, but then he let evolution take over, and it got better with time. Absolutely not. All you've done there is stolen the sovereignty and the glory of God by a statement like that. What we read right here is exactly how it happened. God created the heavens and the earth. And that was it. End of story for this part of the story. Then if we go over to Isaiah again, I love Isaiah in this study for how God chose himself through Isaiah to his people initially and then to us through his word. Isaiah 45, verse 18. This is uh, God speaking through the prophet Isaiah. For this is what the Lord says: He who created the heavens, He is God. He is the God who formed the earth and made it. He established it and did not create it as a waste place, but formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord, and there is no one else. So, if the historical account wasn't enough, now we've got God's words through His prophet. But I'm taking it one step further. We're going to go right directly to God's words. Take a look at Job. Chapter 38 in the book of Job, starting in verse 1. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now gird up your loins like a man, and I will ask you, and you instruct me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who set its measurements, since you know or who stretched the line on it or what on what were its bases sunk or who laid its cornerstone this is probably the most terrifying experience for a man in the history of earth being dressed down directly by god almighty i found it interesting as i read through this the descriptions god uses Regarding his creation. Foundation of the earth. You're going to see most of these relate to a construction type application as if we were building a building. Interesting to think about that because when we picture our earth, it's just out there floating in space. But yet God said, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? And then the measurements of the earth and a line on the earth. Now, those of you not familiar with construction practices, when you, when you draw a line across something, you are aligning it to a specific point to where you want it to be. God did that with the spinning earth. It's exactly where he wants it because he sovereignly ordained it to be that way when he created it. Bases of the earth, cornerstone of the earth, all these construction type ideas that we can't even comprehend when we think about our earth because his ways are higher than our ways. Letter B, sovereign creation of light. Back in Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 3, then God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from darkness. God called the day called the light day, and the darkness He called night, and there was evening and there was morning one day. Sovereign creation of light on one day on day one. No sun, moon or stars, just light. And yet the Genesis account says, there was morning, or excuse me, there was evening and there was morning one day. God's light isn't dependent on the sun, moon, and stars. He gave both to us for our benefit. Again in Isaiah, God speaks through his prophet again. Isaiah 45, 7. The one forming light and creating darkness Causing well-being and creating calamity. I am the Lord who does all of these. I found that first phrase interesting. The one forming light and creating darkness. See, he is truly sovereign. He's in control of all of it. The light and the darkness. It all acts according to his command. And then again, directly from the mouth of God from the whirlwind back to Job, chapter 38, verses 18 through 20. Have you understood the expanse of the earth? Tell me if you know all this. Where is, the way of the, where is the way to the dwelling of light and darkness? Where is its place that you may take it to its territory and that you may discern the paths to its home? A home for dark, and a home for light. That's very odd for our human minds to even think about. That's how God described it. Because he made it. It's all his and he is sovereign over it all. He made it to be just as it is. Letter C, sovereign creation of vegetation. Genesis 1, starting in verse 11. Then God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees on the earth, bearing fruit after their kind with seed in them, and it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed after their kind, and trees bearing fruit with seed in them after their kind, and God saw that it was good. And then dropping down to verse 29. Then God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of all the earth and every tree which has fruit yielding seed. It shall be food for you. And to every beast of this earth and to every bird of the sky and to everything that moves on the earth which has life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God sovereignly created the vegetation on this planet for his purpose. It wasn't, well, if I do this, then I got to do this. Okay, I create animals, now I got to give them something to eat. No, he created all this for his purpose. And the biggest purpose is to glorify himself. That is the purpose of all of creation is to glorify our God. Letter D, Sovereign Creation of Living Creatures. Back in Genesis chapter 1, verse 20. Then God said, Let the waters teem with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth and in the open expanse of the heavens. God created the great sea monsters and every living creature that moves, with which the waters swarmed after their kind, and every winged bird after its kind... And God saw that it was good. Skipping down to verse 24. Then God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures after their kind, cattle and creeping things, and beasts of the earth after their kind. And it was so. God made the beasts of the earth after their kind, and the cattle after their kind, and everything that creeps on the ground after its kind. And God saw that it was good. Again, the biblical historical account of what God did. Turn with me over to Job again, where God is still speaking to Job out of the whirlwind. Chapter 40, starting in verse 15. Behold now, behemoth, which I made as well as you. He eats grass like an ox. Behold now his strength in his loins and his power in the muscles of his belly. He bends his tail like a cedar. The sinews of his thighs are knit together. His bones are tubes of bronze. His limbs are like bars of iron. There's many, many, many scriptures that we could look at for the creation of all of the animals But I like this one because of the behemoth and how he describes the behemoth. This is a beast of an animal. Not only did God create man, but he created a beast so powerful that man can't even comprehend. And this leads me to my final point. E, sovereign creation of man. Turn back to Genesis chapter 1, and we'll look at verse 26 and 27. Then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now, this is unique to all other creation. The creation of man was the pinnacle of God's creation. This was something very, very special to him. And we can see this in many aspects. Just the very differences that we see from all the previous creations. Genesis 1-3, God said, let there be light. Genesis 1-6, God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters. Genesis 1-9, God said, let the waters be gathered and let dry land appear. Genesis 1.11, God said, let the earth sprout vegetation. Genesis 1.14, God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens. Genesis 1.20, God said, let the waters swarm with teams of living creatures. Genesis 1.24, God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures. God said, God said, God said, God said, God said. God said. Everything prior to man, he spoke into existence. He didn't have to do anything. He didn't have to do anything for us either. He could have spoke us into existence, but he chose to do something different. One of the ways that we see this is really special is this is the first time we see the plurality of the Godhead in Scripture. Let us make man in our image and according to our likeness. God didn't say this with any other creation. But we know the triune Godhead was one from the beginning. One of those evidences is in, is in uh, John chapter 1, verse 1. This one's not in your notes. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing that came into being that has come into being. And this is in reference to Jesus. So we know the Godhead was all in unison together from Genesis 1-1. But in this unique creation of man that was so special to him, he brought the Godhead into the forefront right in the historical account, right at the beginning of the historical account, of the creation of man Not only did he create them he created them male and female Seems to be a complicated thing these days but it's pretty clear right here He created them male and female that's what they are We drop down to Genesis chapter 2 verse 7 and we see a little more detail on this sovereign creation of God's special creation of man. Then the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. So rather than just speaking, God gathered up dust, formed a man with his hands, and breathe into him the breath of life. But it doesn't end there. We continue on in chapter 2 of Genesis, verse 18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a suitable helper. Skipping to verse 21. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and close up the flesh at that place. The Lord the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib, which he had taken from the man, and brought her to the man. So yet another approach to creating man. God takes the rib from Adam, and from a rib creates an entire woman. But God's sovereign creation... Of man didn't stop there either it's like an infomercial wait there's more Genesis chapter 1 verse 28 the first part God blessed them and God said to them be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth now that was a command to man but that wasn't handing over full sovereignty of creation of man to man Let's look at Psalms, chapter 139, verses 13 through 16. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret, and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance." And in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me when as yet there was not one of them. God makes every child that is conceived to a woman. Yes, we have a part in that. And there are some other scriptures that we're going to look at next week when we dig in deeper into God's sovereignty that reinforce this fact that though God gave us the ability to participate in multiplying his image on earth, he did not give us full control over it. Hence, miscarriage. Hence, uh, infertility. Things that hard as man might try, We cannot overcome because it's according to God's will when a child is born, conceived, born, or miscarried. Seems harsh to think that God would create this being, which we know starts at conception, just for it to die before it even is born. This is key in our study of our sovereign God. Why did it happen that way? Because God decided it was going to be that way. And there's nothing we can do about it. Not only is he sovereignly in control over the creation of man, he determines the days, the numbers of the days of his life. If you noticed the end, uh, verse 16 of Psalm 139, Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. Meaning, God ordained the number of days you would live on this earth before you were ever created. Because he is God. Now we can continue on being Eeyore Christians and hanging our heads and keeping our little rain cloud handy in case we needed to get out of something we don't want to do. Or we can take the other side of it and say, you know what, God is in control, and that makes me freer than I realize I am. And as I said earlier, between the the singing and the music, that song, I Surrender All. When we really apply that concept, I surrender all, and we must. If we don't, if we don't surrender, then we're going to keep hold of stuff that we don't really have control of. And Then when we lose control of it, we're going to get mad because we lost control of that thing that we need to have control over. Maybe like just an everyday thing, like I was going to get this done today, but that guy broke down on the side of the road, and I had to help him, and now I didn't get this thing done. That's the Eeyore Christian way of thinking about it. God put that guy on the side of the road so that you could be in his life at that point in time for a reason. So I just want you to think of these things, brothers and sisters, for this week as we prepare for next week. It's going to get a little warmer in here next week and we get personal with the sovereignty of God. But I wanted to leave you with Psalms 139 because it's, it's a great, great way to wrap up our sovereign God, knowing that he's in control and how precious that is when we relinquish that control and just let him control. So with that, I'll close in prayer. Lord God Almighty, thank you for your creation that you've created around us for our benefit and for your glory. Thank you for showing us through your word that even in the midst of turmoils when we cannot see clearly we can know that you are truly in control you are our sovereign God and there is none like you we praise you for who you are and we thank you for how you've blessed us through your sovereignty and allowed us to grow in our knowledge of you now go with us as we leave here as we think on these things Help us to be non-EOR Christians and help us to seek your attitude in the things that come through our days so that we can use them to focus on your glory and perpetuate your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.